Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. As the world watches in horror the fast-evolving situation in Ukraine, there are a series of questions about the United States' response to the attack, including the Department of Justice's role in combating potential cyber warfare. In other news, President Biden nominated D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to replace retiring Justice Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court. If confirmed, Jackson will be the first Black woman to sit on the court, the first former public defender on the court, and the only current member of the court who previously served on the United States Sentencing Commission. And Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg named a new lead investigator for his office's criminal investigation into Donald Trump's business dealings following the resignation of the two lead prosecutors on the matter. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for one month for just $1. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. But now to talk about some domestic news, the ever-interesting ongoing investigation of Donald Trump by the Manhattan DA's office. Some news out of that, not 100% clear how ongoing that investigation is. The news came last week that two very seasoned, very experienced former federal prosecutors who had come to the DA's office, one of them exclusively to work on the Donald Trump investigation, Mark Pomerantz, and another who had served as the Manhattan DA's general counsel, Carrie Dunn, both have spent many years in private practice, many years as federal prosecutors. They abruptly resigned together. They didn't make any statements about it, but the reporting from the New York Times and other sources is they had a disagreement with the new district attorney, Alvin Bragg, who, according to reporting, was maybe a little bit more skeptical about the strength of the case that was being built. And there was a pause in taking witnesses to the grand jury And so for reasons that are not fully clear, Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz resigned. At the same time that Alvin Bragg's DA's office congratulated them and thanked them for their service, he appointed another person who has recently come to the DA's office to take over supervision of that investigation and potential prosecution and has had his spokesperson say that the investigation is ongoing. It's not over. So you have two people who left presumably because they thought the case was over or basically over. You have a DA who's insisting it's not over and there's a new person in charge. What do you think is happening here? And by the way, I should say a couple of things. One, I have no inside knowledge. I have not spoken to anyone at the DA's office. I've not spoken to Carrie Dunn. I've not spoken to Mark Pomerantz. I know them both. Obviously, I know Alvin Bragg. He used to work for me and I endorsed him back during the campaign. But I do have some questions about what's going on myself, but I don't have any inside information. Joyce, do you? I have none. The way this situation presents, and and we know because there was reporting that Cy Vance, when he was still the DA in Manhattan, had decided there was sufficient evidence to charge. We should just make clear that the reporting is reporting, but we don't know if that's true. And I should say I've always questioned that a little bit, because if you're at the very end of your career and you're working on a big case and you've got enough to indict, well, then, you, you know, you by God, go ahead and indict. But that said, you know, the case seemed to be heating up a little bit. They had been back in the grand jury, and then all of a sudden there was this pause where grand jury work ceased. 
uh, and these resignations happen. And so what it looks like on its face is that the prosecutors were either ready to indict or very close to ready to indict. Maybe there was some investigative technique they wanted to use or some witness that they wanted to call to the grand jury. And Alvin Bragg didn't think that that was a good idea, either disagreed with the uh, vision for the case or disagreed that they were ready and that they resigned as a result. It's hard to judge these things from the outside, but here, here's my sense of the case without being on the inside. So I'm going to say that caveat over and over again. There was a time, given the signaling by the Manhattan DA's office, where I thought they thought they had the goods. They hire Mark Pomerantz into the office. They hire a for- forensic investigative firm, FTI. There just seemed to be a lot of activity and raising of expectations that there would be a, a viable charge against Donald Trump. So that was my view, I don't know, a year ago. Then they bring this case against Alan Weisselberg, the former CEO of the Trump Organization, that to me at the time, I think last summer, looked fairly weak and made it clear that Weisselberg was not flipping. And if they had to charge him with this, you know, with a bunch of counts relating to tax fraud, relating to fringe benefits, that's a serious crime, one should be held accountable. But it wasn't in the nature of the kind of thing that they were supposed to be investigating or reportedly investigating with respect to Donald Trump and the inflation of assets when it suited them and the deflation of assets when it suited them otherwise. And after the Weisselberg failure to flip and the charge against him, my view was they probably don't have the goods. There probably is not going to be indictment of Donald Trump. That's relevant to sort of assessing what's happened in the last week. I am perfectly prepared to believe that there's not really a case and that a reasonable person, Alvin Bragg and people around him have assessed that it's not strong enough to bring. I'm also perfectly prepared to believe that two other people, Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz, were very, very smart and not cowboys and not overly aggressive. They spent a lot of time as prosecutors, but they've spent more time as defense lawyers. They're not nuts and they're very respected and they're very reasonable. I'm perfectly prepared to believe also that they felt they should go further and there was a viable case. Both things can be true and both sides can be acting reasonably. So, you know, to the people who say that Alvin Bragg must be on the take, you know, there's, there's things to criticize uh, with respect to Alvin Bragg's management of that office. Uh, and there has been a lot of criticism with respect to some other issues and a memo that he wrote. And a lot of that criticism is absolutely justified. He himself has said, Some of that criticism is justified. And there may be criticism here. We just don't know the facts. But what is not true, and I'm speaking to all the conspiracy theorists out there who listen to us and who follow us on Twitter, he's not on the take. There's no compromise. Uh, Donald Trump hasn't bribed anybody. People can have differences of opinion about the strength of the evidence in a case. Fair? Yes. And and I'm 100% on, on that. This is a time to just tamp down on the conspiracy theories. Uh, there's there's nothing to that. A- and I've had this conversation with some people, Preet, and I, I wonder how you respond to this. But folks who are just astonished by the notion that prosecutors acting in good faith can look at the evidence in a case and assess it differently. But, but I'm going to tell you that in these difficult, complex cases, particularly where the intent of the defendant is involved, I have, you know, sat around in a room of experienced, good, competent prosecutors who would all probably, if the truth was told, like to get to yes on an indictment. 
and people will have different reactions to whether there's sufficient evidence. And when you're Alvin Bragg, the guy who has to sign off on the indictment, the opinion that matters ultimately has to be yours. So you're going to listen to your prosecutors. You're going to listen to the people around you. And then at the end of the day, your job is to make that judgment, go or no go. Yeah. Look, it's interesting. I, I taught yesterday, Monday afternoon, I teach my seminar at NYU Law School, and we're, we're addressing the issue of charging decisions the prosecutors make and how they make them and what the considerations are and how prosecution decisions are made by human beings, not by robots. They're not done by algorithm. And I talked about the case in a chapter they read from my book involving a substantial amount of pension fraud that went on at the Long Island Railroad. Now, the Long Island Railroad, its headquarters, as you can tell by the name, is in Long Island. And one might ask, well, what's the relevant district? Who should investigate that kind of you know, pension fraud? And you would say the Eastern District of New York, because Long Island is in the Eastern District of New York. That kind of geographical issue never stopped us before. But as I point out in the book, yeah, I remember those kind of issues never stopped you. Alabama, Alabama's part of the Southern District of New York. We did cases in Alabama and San Francisco. Yeah, we did, you know, Thailand, uh, Northern Africa, you name it, we did it. But we didn't get the first bite at the apple on this LIRR case, the Eastern District of New York did. And it was, you know, a tough case because there was a lot of circumstantial evidence. There was no cooperating witness. And the very excellent Eastern District of New York declined. And... This was a case, by the way, whose nature was exposed by a terrific a bit of reporting by the New York Times. So we took a look and we agonized over it for a while. And I described some of this in my book. How are we going to get these people to flip? How are we going to prove this? How are we going to prove that? What is going to be admissible? You know, it was a very complicated jumble. And we decided to go forward. And the reason I talk about that is not to say, well, we're great and EDNY is soft. It's to say these are difficult decisions, difficult deliberations, and reasonable and smart people can take a look at a set of facts and and one party can decide not to proceed, another party can decide to proceed, and who's to say who's right? What is clear to me is that there's no slam dunk case that the Manhattan DA's office has without a cooperating witness, that at, at a minimum, it's a close question. And there might be a difference of opinion. Are you saying that you wouldn't put Michael Cohen on the witness stand? (laughs) (laughs) Not put Michael Cohen on the witness stand. But I will say also, I don't want to engage in any undue criticism, but I'm perfectly prepared to believe that in good faith, as reported, that Alvin has some concerns about the viability of the case. It's going to be the most watched prosecution maybe ever in the country against a former president of the United States. So the standard is not probable cause to go to the indictment phase. The standard is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And you got to have it. And if you don't have it, there's there's a lot of egg on your face and either and even further decrease in public confidence if your case collapses after you bring it. But what I don't understand is how this would unfold in a way that would cause, you know, two non-theatrical, reasonable, mild-mannered lawyers to resign abruptly and somewhat ostentatiously, even though they didn't say anything. It's a pretty ostentatious thing to do. And you know it's going to gain a lot of attention. And you know it's going to look bad in many quarters for Alvin Bragg. How you got to a circumstance in your management that that happens, you know, there may be something to criticize there. They have to have told him, you know, whatever the decision point was, and we obviously don't know what the issue that led to the falling out was, but it seems clear to me that that they would have told him 
listen, if if you disagree with us here, we're going to have to leave. And so he would have seen this coming. It's just really a perplexing situation. But, you know, it reinforces in many ways my view that the responsibility for prosecuting a former president should fall to the Justice Department, not even to as capable of a state prosecutor as the Manhattan DA's office is, just from a resource point of view, but also from an integrity and a responsibility point of view. The sorts of allegations that the Manhattan DA is looking at here, if they could be established, would probably substantiate federal tax or federal fraud charges as well. And so I still have this question that always itches at the back of my mind when we talk about this or the Fulton County DA's investigation. You know, where's the Justice Department? So the way I look at it, Joyce, you know, I tend to agree with you that when you're talking about someone who is the former president, the most sort of appropriate commensurate authority who might hold him accountable would be the Justice Department because of its resources and its prestige and everything else. But I separate the misconduct attributable to Trump into two categories. Category one is stuff that he did as a private citizen before he became president or that was done by the Trump organization. And it's, you know, everyday garden variety, fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, whatever the case may be, that people get charged with all the time by DA's offices and state prosecutor's offices and attorney general offices all the time. So I'm not, I'm not as concerned that that kind of case is being investigated by a DA's office on the other hand, the, the second category of, of misconduct that has to do with the big lie or trying to change election results in Georgia or the insurrection, you know, things that happened by the person who was the commander in chief of our armed forces and the leader of the executive branch of the government, those kinds of things, it does seem a little bit more odd to me for that to be investigated and prosecuted by some far-flung DA in Georgia or Manhattan or somewhere else. But with respect to the garden variety fraud, I don't have as much of a problem with it. You know, I think the garden variety fraud is is one thing, especially if it's not really a high dollar sort of a bank fraud situation. But if there's tax fraud, if you've got a public figure who's engaging in tax fraud, those are sort of bread and butter DOJ cases come April. And, it, you know, again, it depends on the dollar amount and how clear it is and, and whether there's good evidence. But if, in fact, you you've got good evidence of tax fraud in this situation, I think it would be inconsistent with our practice across the board of holding people who've, for instance, taken public oaths of office to account for tax payments. I think it would be inconsistent to uh, let this sort of tax matter be handled by a state DA. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that the Manhattan DA, the new Manhattan DA, in the wake of Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz resigning, should he have made some broader statement and explained a little bit more fully or not appropriate? You know, I think it's a hard call. He's sort of damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. I tend to have some... Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for one month for just $1. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, Thank you for supporting our work.